Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. And thank you for these lesser lights that we're going to think about now that he set in motion and they're still doing it after thousands of years. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that he proclaims his glory through things we can see. Help us listen to him now in Jesus' name. Amen. What are the sun, the moon and the stars for? Now, maybe we've never thought of that. We, we just benefit from them, you know. Without them, we'd be stuffed. But, you know, well, they're there, so great. Now I need to get on with using them, like, to see and to kind of eat everything that I ever put in my mouth. That's, that all comes from, like, the sun's energy and stuff. Uh, but theologically, it's a very serious question. Some people are genuinely dismayed that one day, however many billions of years in the future... The sun will swell so big that it will burn up the whole earth. People are genuinely sad about that. The root of all the climate emergency talk is that in the end, things will either get too hot or too cold with all the attendant kind of weather systems and sea rising and all that kind of stuff. The relationship between the sun and our atmosphere or the seasons is threatened in some way, which means we must now fear the sun. People talk a lot about the planet, but the fear comes from what the sun is going to do if we disrupt the balance of that planet. In our fairy tales, we talk about the frightening influence of the moon. So you've got that little, you know, DreamWorks, if I told you what that was? You remember when uh, the little kind of bob thing splashes in the water and then it ripples out and it goes you know it's like you were there the beginning of a film and then someone's fishing from like sitting in the moon oh that's all cosy and friendly isn't it but what about werewolves or what about lunatics very very long ago the idea was that actually the moon was a trickster and you didn't want to get on its wrong side some people swear by their horoscopes or think the stars are out to get them. Others look to the heavens expecting some giant meteorite to one day fall and obliterate us all. But then there's this other experience that I hope all of us have had, particularly in Suffolk. What happens inside us when we look up? We see a clear night. What are they for? Are they just something really big? And scary that we happen to do quite well out of a lot of the time, but could turn on us at any moment. Our accidental astronomical neighbours, or just a pretty backdrop. Or perhaps if you're Elon Musk, the next site of human colonisation. You know, that little red dot, right, we're going there. As we've seen over the last couple of weeks, the opening chapters of the Bible give us a very different way of seeing everything. There is a way of seeing the heavens cultivated by the ancient church and passed on to churches through the centuries that gives us a radically different vision, even for modern materialists like we tend to be. Here's the first bit. Jesus gives heavenly bodies to serve the church. Jesus gives heavenly bodies to serve the church. Verse 14. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky 
to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. There you go. That's what the sun, moon, and stars are for. Did you count them? There are seven connected purposes in there. First, separate the day from the night or the light from the darkness. Those are sort of two connected ones, verses 14 and 18. I'm just taking them as one. Then later in verse 14, signs, seasons, days, and years. Those are linked, but they're actually separate things. The whole idea that they are signs for that, that's not there. It's just they are signs, seasons, days, and years. And verse 15, to shine down on the earth. That's number six. And then finally, verse 17 and 18, to rule the day and the night. The whole thing is focused on the earth. As we read through the Bible, there is a lot of stuff about what goes on up there without reference to the earth. So in Job, you get the names of the constellations. You even get the Pleiades appear in the Bible, Arcturus, Orion, those kind of things. Lucifer, to take the kind of Latin version of his name, before he became Satan, is called the morning star in Ezekiel, very mysteriously. There's stuff about how every single one of those stars has a name in Isaiah 40. But the Bible doesn't start with any of that. It only hints at all the angelic beings and their incredible hierarchies and subdivisions and detailed role in making sure everything works the way it should up there. It speaks about the stuff that we still look to the heavens for today. Without the light of the sun, the moon, even stars, we'd be stuffed. (laughs) They're there to give us light. Us, the residents of earth. Even before there were any residents, the whole way this bit talks is as if there's a giant theatre being prepared for someone to be in it and to see by it. Separating day from night and light from darkness is a really deep thing. Both of these things have already actually happened in day one. Do you remember that? There's already day and night before there's a sun and moon. There's already light and darkness before there's anything to give light, it seems. But now, thanks to these heavenly bodies, one of the first things we are aware of, not just that cosmic idea of uh, the separation of uncreated light and the absence of light, you know, Jesus on here and not Jesus over there. One of the first things we experience as humans, even before we're born, is this daily pattern of day and night. If, if you're ever talking to a pregnant woman, often the baby gets it mixed up. It's really awake in the night and really asleep in the day. Have you ever found that? And apparently that carries on when they come out. But they're very much aware of what's going on outside, the light and the darkness. Day and night, light and darkness, has never been in doubt since this day. The sun has not once failed to appear to mark the beginning of a new day. The moon keeps on with its cycle to determine one month. The seasons are marked by the phases of the moon in relation to the stars. And we know where we are in the year by those 12 segments revolving around the North Star. That's where we get the signs of the zodiac from. It's not just, you know, in uh, 
whatever it is, TV, radio, where it says, you know, you will meet a mysterious stranger this week. Or, you know, <laughs> I've never read a horoscope ever, but that, so I'm told. Astonishingly, the season's word here isn't like summer, winter, autumn, spring. That isn't in the right order, is it? <laughs> I can't believe I said that anyway. It's not that. It's, it's festivals. Moses is telling us Jesus' plan for the calendar of church life before any humans have been created. When we follow the Christian year, we're actually harking back to creation. Not just some random thing one culture accidentally imposed on everyone else. These greater and lesser lights are there to rule the day and the night. So you've got Jesus at the top, the arcade, the beginning, the head, the light. And these are kind of a different sort of light. They borrow light from Jesus. They serve Jesus and his people by teaching them how to mark time in a meaningful way so that you don't just have a big blob of time going mad like in solitary confinement, not even knowing what day it is. That, that messes us up, doesn't it? No, don't do that. Like you, you can have a manageable period. You can have 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness and you can have a seven-day week and you can have a 30-day month and a 365-day year. That, we, we are made to live like that. We need to acknowledge how empty we're left if the only things we think when we consider sun, moon and stars are to do with human-ruled, human-defied sciences of astronomy and astrophysics. Because these immediately, in order to do them well, you have to ignore everything you feel and the way we actually live. We have to escape into a world that no human can actually ever see other than maybe like for a few seconds through a giant telescope or through those false colour images in NASA. They are amazing, but no one's ever seen them. And, you know, I'm always a bit disappointed by them because actually they're probably about this big and, you know, they're black and white and no one knows what colour they are and, you know, no one knows if it's still there because it's taken like however many billion years to get there. But, but we construct reality around these tiny little bits that people have spent years trying to piece together from lots of different images. It's not really what it's like. We don't know what it's like. But the way of seeing that Jesus introduces us to brings all these stupendously awesome servant rulers. Well, it fills in the emptiness left by the sterile and meaningless way that we often talk about. them. And when we do think this way, It's not making humans the centre. That's one reason why astrophysics and astronomy have said no to this way of thinking. Oh, we're just insignificant blips. We need to expand our minds to realise the universe is bigger than we are. So so here's the end of an article by two, uh, reporting the work of two Nobel Prize winning astrophysicists. And their discoveries, it was uh, Michael Mayer and Didier Queloz, if you want to know. I just thought we should acknowledge credit and everything. Uh, by the end of explaining how they discovered that there are planets orbiting like suns millions of light years away, he says, the advances spearheaded by Mayer and Queloz have contributed significantly to helping clear up once and for all the idea of anthropocentrism. That's a complicated word, meaning it's all about us. But the only way they were able to do that was as humans looking at the world. As far as we know, no one else cares. (laughs) 
you know, we're looking up and trying to make sense of it. And the thing that they're trying to do is make it meaningless that we're doing it. <laughs> you know, so, so we look and work out with complicated processes that there's a planet up there. And then we're like, great, we're, we're irrelevant. <laughs> Jesus' words through Moses are opposed to the mythologies that we create to make ourselves meaningless, to make them have nothing to do with us. We should compare that vision of the world that no one really understands and that is all about making us feel rubbish with Jesus' vision from the beginning. Even those incredible occupants of the second heaven are given to us by him to serve us. That is humbling, but it doesn't make us nothing. Last bit, and uh, this is shorter. Jesus' church recalibrates our rhythm. Jesus' church recalibrates our rhythm. That usual way of thinking about the sun, the moon, the stars as like things that physicists can tell us about and we don't understand, it dies hard. We've all been indoctrinated in it, really. It's a bit like, if you can imagine this, can you remember, just particularly Jake, can you remember getting a Christmas present? Okay, so I want you to imagine I'm giving you a Christmas present now, okay? There we go. I can see you're excited. I'm sorry that it's not a real one. Okay, and and you're the whole human race, okay, Jacob. And instead of doing what obviously you do when you get a Christmas present, the thing you do is spend ages shaking it and listening to it and, and feeling it. And maybe trying to find a thin bit of wrapping paper that you can look through and just see what's inside it. Basically, the thing, you'll do anything except reading the tag and looking at me, opening it and saying thank you. (laughs) Or the, the other approach that we've already thought about. So that's one approach. Another approach is you'll get a ruler out and you'll measure how big it is. And you'll look at the dots on the wrapping paper and see how far apart they are. And you'll see how thick the wrapping paper is by using like a set square or like whatever. Or you'll, you'll find out the chemical composition of like the wrapping paper and the colour spectrum of the pigment and all that. Again, anything except seeing what's in it and what it means. Anything except tearing off the paper, opening it and saying thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Well done, well done Jacob. That was a good little drama. Those two approaches are roughly equivalent to astrology and astronomy. The first one is quite close to worshipping these things. Only the second time the moon is actually named in the Bible, it's in the context of telling Israel, don't worship it. That attitude has never been far away, really, of trying to sort of, you know, like the first thing where it's like peeking through, shaking it, you know, trying to find out what it's really about without listening to the one who made it. Um, All the kind of search for extraterrestrial life at the moment or the exoplanets, or black holes. People give all their devotion to these sub-rulers because that's the highest thing they can imagine. And they're not interested in seeing the one who's given it to them (laughs) and what he says about them. This actually takes all that much too seriously. But then astrology, you know, some of the branches of science, it's the opposite. It's not taking them too seriously It's seeing these eon-spanning, incomprehensibly glorious stars, planets, host of heaven, 
are moving in a glorious dance to tell Deirdre from Lowestoft that she could find a fiver behind the fridge. <laughs> you know, or whatever. It's like, come on. I've, again, I've never read horoscopes. That's the kind of thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, a dark stranger comes over the horizon or, you know, invest in sugar this week or something. You know, it's just complete nonsense. Or, or else, you know, if it's not that, it's like we talk about having the power of the sun in the palm of our hands. So apparently cold fusion happened a while ago or something. You know, people are all talking about how to make it ours and all that kind of thing. And the one thing we're not doing is looking at it, saying, thank you, Jesus. And realising we know which way is up and we get warmth and we, you know, can see when it's the middle of the night and we just think it's beautiful, you know, all that. Again, this has been tried in a lot of different ways. So um, any of you read about the 10-day week? Read about that? It was French, so obviously. No, no, I'm not going to say that, sorry. <laughs> anyway, like, so when the revolution happened and, you know, Jacobim and, you know, do you hear the people sing and all that, like, that was the other one. But, like, uh, someone had the bright idea that all this 7 and 12, those are stupid numbers, 10, 10, 10, 10. So they tried to convince everyone that actually if you're a labourer, you need to work for nine days, not six, and uh, you get one day off in ten. And we're going to rationalise the calendar and make everything like logical and all this kind of stuff. People hated it. It was so dumb. Like, you know, they, they tried to sort of tear it all up. And the, the specific reason they did it was to remove all religious and royalist influences. It was like, we know what's what. We're going to dominate the world and ignore those things. We're just going to say it makes sense to have 10 days because we've got 10 fingers. And it was so dumb. People, like, people almost had another revolution about it. That there's something intrinsic to the seven thing and to the 12 thing and to 12 hours. They tried to divide the day into 10. It was just stupid. This is still how we are. This is the reason we have seven days in our week and they are 24 hours long, which is a 12 thing. And there are 12 months and there are 365 days. And we've got that little sort of awkward extra bit with the leap year because Jesus is like, don't get too comfortable. You know, I'm going to just, you know, make, mix things up a little bit. Instead of fighting against it and saying we know better, trying to use those signs in the heavens, trying to make them all about us rather than about him. Instead of doing that, if we lean into it and embrace these patterns established at creation, we receive life through them. The heavenly bodies make terrible gods and even worse tools. But when we accept their role as servants of Jesus for the good of his people, when we open the gift and see where it's from and say thank you, it changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a way of seeing that frees us and makes us alive. Please change our hearts so we can see that way in obedience to Jesus. In his name, amen.